Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halix. Well, we thought we'd do something a little different this week by starting us off, launching ourselves into the topic that we thought we'd talk about today with a song. So we're going to dive right into that, and then we'll come back and we'll explore kind of what this song opens up for us. So this song is called Hey World by Isabel Campbell. Uh, and I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Here we go. Hey world, Isabel Campbell. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive into our topic for today. Hey world, gonna let it all hang out. Hey world, 
welcome back. That was Hey World by Isabel Campbell. You're listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. We played that song for a reason, but before I dive into it, I thought let's take a minute to ground in and to acknowledge that um, Luca and I, we live, we work, we play uh, on the unceded ancestral territories of the Squamish, the Musqueam, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Coquitlam. Um, Last week, we dove really deep into a really painful topic for our country, uh, for uh, Indigenous peoples in Canada, um, that they've been carrying for a very long time, that much of Canada, for not very good reasons, has remained ignorant of for a long time, or blind to or refusing to acknowledge the weight of, uh, until the bodies of 215 children were found in uh, Kamloops on some property that used to be a residential school. And this week, we want to talk about, it, it, it's June, it's summer, we're feeling the, the, the sun is coming back around. <laughs> and we are a country that's on the brink of being able to emerge after a year plus of pandemic living, which has isolated us and it made us be introverts whether we are naturally introverts or not I've thrived in it a lot of people have not thrived in it and disconnected us from a lot of the usual ways in which we would support ourselves support our community engage in community it feels like it's a time of planning it's a time of envisioning of setting out some strategy and intentions, dreaming, dreaming into what's going to become. What do we want our summer to be? What do we want our return to? I want to call it regular life, but I feel like there's a big part of this that's going to declare itself not to be regular life, not regular, not as it was before. And I mentioned this in connection with our grounding on uh, the land that, that belongs to the indigenous peoples, uh, that it, that I named, because part of that I feel connects in with reconciliation and with how do we go forward with this in mind and with reconciliation as a goal. We listened to the song Hey World by Isabel Campbell. There's a, there's a spirit in that song of adventure, of exploration, of I don't know what I'm going to find. We we love that feeling. We end every one of our shows with I wonder what's around the corner because it's just that's where we like to be, this place of curiosity of what else is possible, of, of potential that's not yet been revealed. And we want to make sure that throughout our show today, we touch in as well on how that relates with reconciliation. But right now we're going to also start from the personal, which will still connect with reconciliation. But in the sense of, you know, what are you dreaming? Let's just turn it, let's go straight in. Luca, what is it that you're dreaming of? If you could, well, maybe you already are planning. What do you want it to look like as you go back into the world? as things open up here again. I think this this period of time has afforded me um, an enforced opportunity to dive deeper into what do I want more of and what do I want less of. And I have been 
coincidentally or not, um, redesigning my website over this period of time, which really uh, begs the question, what am I trying to put out there to the world? And it's different than the website that I had before because I'm different. And because I'm a sole proprietor, my business is really about what I choose to offer and what I choose to offer comes out of who I am. But I think that's very much so for all of us as we move forward after the pandemic or as we begin to transition out of the pandemic, because I don't think it's a, a switch that we flip and say, okay, we're done now. Now right. we, now everything is um, open again. I think we're going to have to ease into this um, thoughtfully and um, with an awareness that if we don't do it carefully, then we could slip back into having to sequester ourselves and um, and take care again. So, so I think that it pays. It really pays for us to be mindful about how we do this. But I'm also um, reminded of when when we go into any kind of change, we dream first. I, I've always believed that the dream is the blueprint for where we're going to go. And I think that we also use our nocturnal and daytime dreaming to, to explore possibilities. What, what if I were this? Um, what, if I, what if I changed my career? What if I changed how I live? What if I uh, decided to live a simpler life and divested myself of some of the um, baggage that I've been thinking was absolutely essential, and I'm now wondering if it is. Um, what if I, um, what if I reexamine my values? Um, and I think that having found that 215 or the bodies of 215 children in the former residential school, it really begs the question: How did we, how did we create circumstances where that could happen? Mm -hmm. And how could we allow it to happen? And how could we not listen when all the First Nations people were saying our children are disappearing? Where are they going? Um, so there's been a lot of stages along the way at, during which we could we could have said, hey, wait a minute, this isn't OK. Mm -hmm. um, and so now when we're looking back at it, I think one of the things that's so horrifying is that we did let it happen. The, all of us as so-called good people who like to see ourselves as good people, we, allow, we allowed something that was this horrendous to go on. Not, not that we were not necessarily the perpetrators, but, but even if we weren't, even if our ancestors weren't here doing that, we allow it. We, we have allowed it to continue. It's still well, here with us. Yeah, it's, it's not about... It's not yeah. helpful to view it as we bear the uh, guilt or shame no. of previous no. generations having done this. However, we bear a responsibility because yeah. we are here in the present yeah. and the impacts are still ongoing. They're so still if ongoing. we do yes. not participate in yeah. the interruption of that ongoing rolling consequences from this, then we become part of the problem and we have responsibility for what's going on right now yeah. so if we're going to if we're going to change that we have to dream it first yes and and that means allowing ourselves to go somewhere where um, each element of it may not work may not be perfect mm -hmm. but before we even act on it before we suggest it 
we have to dream it. We have to dream. Well, what if, what if we did this? What if we looked at it this way? What, what if, and, and our, what if dreams are not logical, reasonable, and rational. Right. On purpose. On purpose. This is, this is, this can be a hard one. I I run into this a lot with um, clients, with friends, family, whatever. We'll be, we'll be looking at a situation where it's like, we know we need change. We're like, yeah, but we can't, we, we so quickly will start with them. Well, we can't do this, 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 or this, or this, because I don't have this resource or I don't know this this person, or I don't know how to do it. Like, because we, our brains naturally want to think of how we want the answers for how before we really feel like action in any direction is possible. But this, this is the, this is the gift is that we don't have to know how, when we dream, there is something magnificent that happens where I like to describe it as the more we daydream, night dream, intentionally dream by visualization, the things that we want to have exist, we just imagine them as being here mm-hmm. without knowing how we get there. But just what would it feel like? What would it look like? What would it sound like? What would it... Um, what kinds of things would be happening if this was the way that I would love it to be. And just to let that imagination visualization form itself in our minds. It's almost like we're, we're opening the door for it to come closer. It's like we, or imagine like a veil of something that you you're wearing it thinner. Every time you daydream it, you take off another layer and the more that you do that, the closer to being possible it comes to you. Be- I think it's. I think it does something like it attunes something in our spirit or in our intuition, so that we are more able to recognize even the slightest hint mm-hmm. of where it might. It's all. It's like when you give sniffer dogs a piece of clothing. That's, you know, for someone that's missing, you got to find the person. The dog smells the clothing and then they go off and they smell their way to the individual. And it's like, we're doing that with the dream. By focusing on the dream, we're giving ourselves like a a, a sniff. And so then when we encounter a scent or a feeling that is like that through our everyday life, it's like, ooh, we pay attention. We draw closer to that because that tends to be part of the way it's like it starts to show us the way yes yeah and it doesn't have to all happen at once we don't have to wait until it's perfect to start moving in that direction we we need to dream it and and i think it's also a feeling right what uh, we know what it feels like when it feels shameful and horrible and right painful but but what does it what do we want it to feel like yeah and i i also am really aware that um this is not about first nations people have all the answers and we should just turn it over to them and do whatever they tell us to do and it's not that um the people who are descendants from settlers they they should fix it because they were so involved in making it awful. We have the opportunity here to all work together on this because the world that comes out at the other end is going to be a world that we all live in together. Yeah. 
So, so we have to put us all together on this dreaming process. process. So created. Yes. But there's something very um, important. You, you were hinting, you know, settlers, you know, we need to fix it. Well, there's a, a saying, I think it's from Stephen Covey. Uh, I'm probably not going to get it correct as I try to remember it, dredge it from my memory right now. But it goes something like uh, a, a problem cannot be solved using the same methods that created the problem to begin with. Yes, so this exactly. is where it's like, okay, no, really, yes. settlers, colonial, mm-hmm. patriarchal, um, capitalistic viewpoints, paradigms are not going to be able to fix this because it created it. So we've got yes. to be able to step out of that and to be able to step out of that, it really means we need to be listening to alternative perspectives. We must be learning to co-create because there was no co-creation in, yes. in this country's past in the yes. sense of uh, co-creation along with indigenous peoples. It yes. was very much uh, um, a top down, those who had the power, who took the power <laughs> and yeah. just made yeah. things be a certain way. Yeah. We're also, we're used to having the power and we have to step into a place now of sharing power. Yes. And many of us don't even know what that looks like. Well, if we don't perceive we have power, how do we, how do we share it? How do we share it? So this is yeah. part of it. There, yeah. I think this is, this is part of the conversations I'm having these days with friends and family is, is really even connecting in with what does privilege mean? Privilege and power are very intertwined. And privilege is not necessarily something that we exercise all the time. But it's something that is available to us, whether yeah. we are making use of it or leveraging it, we may not be aware of it. Um, as, a, as a quick example of what that could look like, um, I watched the movie uh, Green Book the other day. And in it, there's this really profound point where the driver so the green book is a story of a very incredibly intelligent and educated erudite uh, musician who is african-american and who needs to be driven and protected as he does a tour through the most southern of the states and his driver is of italian descent sort of mobbish, not quite uh, connections, uh, been a bouncer for <laughs> most of his years, etc. And he's really rough around the edges. So it's a very fascinating dynamic that starts out with these people because the Italian man does not recognize his privilege. And the, uh, the musician, the artist has maximized everything that he can possibly find his way to maximize in terms of what's in his control with his education, with his choice of language, with his interactions with people and choosing nonviolence, etc. And there's a, there's a couple of points in the movie where he's basically saying to this man, like you could choose better in how you speak to people in how you, you know, in choosing to educate yourself, you could better yourself. This is available for you. It would not cost you the same amount that it would mean. And we're not talking just money. We're talking um, abuse, uh, being exposed to harassment, etc. But you don't avail yourself of it. (laughs) And you perceive yourself as just a simple, poor, uninfluential person 
when you really have all of these things available to you if you were to choose to use it. And this is a really fascinating lens on privilege. Yes. yes. Because as settlers, as um, white people, we have so many points of privilege, whether we are exercising them or not, that, you know, it's, it's not about divesting ourselves of privilege. It's about what are we doing with the power that we do have? And are we using it to create space and platform for other people who maybe no, don't have access for it, to stand up for, to ally with, to uh, magnify, to lift up those who are around us? Um, to make noise where noise needs to be made. Yeah. And to make room at the table for another perspective. It's because we have the power to make room at the table. But if we don't recognize that somebody is missing at the table, then we're not likely to make room for them. And if we don't recognize that we have the power to make room for somebody at the table, mm -hmm. then we'll never pull up another chair. Yeah. And I think we need as many different perspectives for, for these changes that are coming ahead for us as we can possibly get our hands on. Mm -hmm. Because the more choices we have, the more robust a future we, the more nuanced a future we can create. Yeah. So, so we're in those beginning stages. And, and I think that this is a natural process. We'll do it anyway. But the more conscious we can be about it, the faster we can move it along, mm -hmm. the deeper we can drive it into all of the communities who have a vested interest in it. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that requires consciousness. And so hopefully us having a conversation like this on a medium such as radio um, is going to allow all of us to explore this a little more mm -hmm. um, and, and drive it deeper and wider and give it more color and allow us, invite us all to dream what would be a better world. Yeah. Uh, what would be a more inclusive world? And, and what will it feel like when, when everybody has a place and when everybody gets to make a contribution yeah. and when everybody is safe, right? What, and, and it really invites us to explore what our values are, mm -hmm. I think. And sometimes we don't know exactly where our values are until something comes along, like all of these children's bodies that are discovered in the ground, we, we, we may look at that and say, that does not fit my values. I don't want to live in a world where that can happen. Right. So then it begs the question, how do we create a world where right. that We have to be visioning the what's next or we'll just end up by default. If the only thing we can, we can talk about or envision is what we don't want, yeah. how are we supposed to navigate out of that? It's still going to be yes. what we're most drawn to because it's what we recognize. Yeah. I feel like it's time for a second song. Um, I'd really like us to play In My Dream by Jonathan Brinkley. Now, this song is, is it's so beautiful. It's utterly gorgeous. This man's uh, vocals are just haunting. Um, he's speaking of almost like a really powerful dream, almost like a prophetic kind of dream. And he's sharing it with his, presumably his love. Um, there's elements to this song that might be incredibly powerful to hear if we were listening it 
listening to it through the lens of as though we were he was singing this uh, to indigenous people. It won't be perfect, so please forgive me for the parts of the metaphor that don't land, but there are some parts of this that might be incredibly powerful that way. So let's take a listen to In My Dream by Jonathan Brinkley. We'll be back in just a few minutes. La da da day. La da da day. Welcome back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. That was In My Dream by Jonathan Brinkley. That was the first time you heard that, right, Luca? Oh, God, yes. The album was called um, Unguarded Heart. Mm. And the artwork on the cover of it is stunning. It's yeah. a, 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 a di almost like a diagram of a heart. It has a, a spiral in the middle of it. Um, there's lots of sacred geometry on the front of this, but it's um, like it, in some ways it, it didn't even matter what it said. It, it was like, it, I felt like it reached inside me and vibrated me yeah. into yeah. a better place. Right. You know? <laughs> um, I could just, 
he could he could have been singing gibberish and it still <laughs> would have moved me in some way it 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 was like it transcends culture it it reminds me of how much we need artists right now oh yeah we need creative people to help move us beyond this place that is all about um the 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 fixes that we get ourselves into by fixed thinking mm-hmm. and fixed beliefs and fixed pain and fixed pr- privilege, right? We, we have to unfix things in a way as if, as in fixative, you know, that, that makes everything stay as it is. We need to unfix it so that it's free to move again so that we can flow our way out of this yeah. and into something better that we can dream of how do you overcome the the brain's logical want to figure out the hows and the what's and the resources and map the journey to access that place of dreaming unfettered what do you do luca the the first thing is i think noticing that although my brain may think that's the best way to go, my body's telling me it feels terrible. Mm. It doesn't feel good. What is out of balance, um, what is too constricted, what is um, fear-based is uncomfortable. At the beginning, uncomfortable. As we go further down the line, it gets downright painful. And I think that at some point, the pain breaks through and says, oi, you've got to stop this. Like, we can't move anymore, right? This is, um, and, and then, then we begin to look at, okay, what alleviates the pain? Mm-hmm. And um, catharsis, I think, often comes in the form of creativity comes in the form of art. It comes in the form of nature, which is all the yin to the yang of the, of the brain and of the fixing and the um, reasonable processes, right? It's, we'll come back to those. We always come back to those processes because that's how we construct something, but what we can construct now that has to come out of the dream time. Um, And, and I, I know Carl Jung, the famous psychologist talked about the collective unconscious and the dream time. And I think that he pulled a lot of that from the, um, the mythology of the planet, which is very close to um, all of our indigenous cultures that, that going into the dream time and finding um, ways to access on a regular basis, that dream time. Right. Um, and I, and I think that we do it, we just don't necessarily do it in a healthy way. Mm. Uh, and by we, I mean the settler peoples, right. Um, this, this idea of, I think one of the reasons that so many young people are turning to drugs right now is because they're trying to find a way back into the dream time, mm. uh, to alleviate the pain. Right. And we've got to find a better way to do it than that. Right. But also there's a, the pendulum is swinging and we're moving into um, uh, more people are, are looking at um, responsible and moderated ways to work with psychedelics. Yeah. Um, 
to, to, and I think that's a way of going back and accessing our own individual dream time, but also the collective dream time. Right. I'm a big fan of what, what's possible. I think we're learning about it all the time. And I don't think it's new. I think that indigenous cultures have known about this for a very long time. And I think that as we began to move into this, as we are moving further into this, we're tapping into those indigenous cultures and getting them to teach us what they know about it so that we can be more conscious. Well, and also uh, there's, there's all, there's often a tendency, especially uh, in, in, you know, North America, um, settler folk people descended from settler folk we are so disconnected from our own pa- we are indigenous somewhere yes we've yes. lost that yes. right so this is yes. this is part of the collective wound that we have as settlers which is why we tend to look at indigenous people and they're beautifully powerful and effective and binding and and educating traditions and histories and processes and we feel an ache because we had religion but our religion was so flawed uh, whatever it was mostly christianity but there's a lot of other ones as well that would that came over through colonial settling and a lot of religions are, have revealed themselves to be simply vehicles of oppression and abuse and mm-hmm. and um, division so they're not they had rituals and traditions connected to them but now they just make us think of these broken places or broken parts of them we have indigenous roots as well there's a there's um a, a course that i uh did a while ago called white awake and it was you can do a search for that online called white awake it was a really beautifully constructed course that was designed to help every one of us no matter what our backgrounds were to start kind of going back through the information we do have to see where are our roots what exists at those roots what stories can we learn about ancient trauma to our bloodline through those stories what um, histories and traditions still exist and frankly psychedelics exist in all of them including our own indigenous history which we have been disconnected from yeah uh, but nobody else can connect us to that if we don't go hunting for it absolutely and those those um, big religions of the world many of them um, co-opted our indigenous yes. roots yeah. for their own purposes and yeah. so you know m- part of my heritage is is in the united kingdom and and there, we know that there are um, cathedrals that are built on top of um, ancient sites of power. And, uh, you know, Stonehenge and the, that's my indigenous roots go back to Stonehenge. This, so so I, I know that I feel a connection to the um, Druidic um, rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... So if I dig far enough, I can find those pieces that somehow feel reminiscent to me of some echo of my um, of my DNA, if you like. Um, and and I think that that we all have those. Yeah. If, as you said, if we go if we go looking for them, and sometimes we can find them with our brains and searching in a linear fashion, and sometimes we go we have to go into what are the stories we've read that have resonated for us? 
what are the tools that are available to us? So I found my connection through a deck of tarot cards that I have. And there are many, like hundreds of different sets of tarot cards. This one happened to be connected into Wiccan and Druidic um, uh, myths and and, uh, practices. And I thought, oh my God, this, this feel, this resonates for me. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons it resonates for me is because that is what comes out of my past. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. So then we can use those as tools for access to our own wisdom. um, That, so I don't have to co-opt somebody else's. Exactly. I have my own and I can reconnect to that we're not asking for someone else to guide us on a journey that's intensely personal, but we can share with with our loved ones and with our friends for some people will be more receptive, you know? So I wrote a little note down to myself when we first started talking today, Uh, you referred to, um, you know, the reopening, we're going back into the world and you, you referred really briefly to flipping the switch. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I keep wanting to say that the other way, swipping the flitch or something like that. And every time it comes <laughs> yeah. out of my mouth, I'm like, is that yeah. the right way? My yeah. brain is just totally messed up with that phrase right now. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that for a minute. I think it might relate in with this a bit too. Mm-hmm. So I grew up um, being taught a certain way around um this is probably going to resonate for a lot of people around sex specifically. This may seem totally off topic, but I promise you, I'm going to bring it home. Bring it back. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk about sex anyways. So I grew up in a, in a, in a Christian cult that was incredibly strict around sex. Basically the message was given to us. The sex was evil. It was wrong. It was bad. Um, we were not supposed to, we, um, we were not supposed to even hold hands with someone unless we were engaged uh, we were not supposed to, it was highly exhorted that we should only kiss somebody when we were actually like at the altar it should be the first time that we kissed. So I had an incredibly cloistered, highly monitored and regulated upbringing through teenage years, through my college years as well, up into my early twenties till I got married and I married someone else who was also from the same Christian cult background. And being married was the most irritating resolution to all of these years of having been programmed that sex was bad. I, it was, it was like, I received the message that, okay, now the fetters are off. You can do what you want. You've made it to the you know promised land of marriage. You do what you want. Well, guess what, folks, you programmed me so well, I don't know how to flip that switch. It's not a switch. It's a, it's a programming. And now I got to figure out how to do this myself. Because I've got, like, how exactly do you go from this is evil to Oh, this is fantastic. I can do what I want with this. No, it doesn't really work that way. And I'd like to bring this up in the nature of what we've been going through the last year, because we had to shut down so hard. And the reasons we had to do it were rooted in fear and panic. For good reason, people were dying. But that is not going to be something that for many people, they can just flip. When you've received that message, you've heeded it, you have changed your actions accordingly so that you can 
serve your family, serve the community the best way possible. It's honestly not that far removed from little Ernest Rebecca, who's following all the guidelines that are given. And so when it's suddenly it's open up, it's like, Woo-hoo, you can go out, do what you want. Don't have to wear a mask. Don't have to socially distance. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who are, it, it feel, it will feel wrong. And it will. We've been in it long enough now that we've been programmed. Yeah. So now we have to unprogram ourselves. Yeah. And, and you know what? We also get to ask ourselves, do we want to unprogram ourselves? Because I've realized I've not really gotten sick this last year. And I usually catch everything that goes around. So maybe I do want to wear a mask sometimes. Hey, that option's now open to me. Maybe some people might make fun of me. I don't really care. I got used to it. <laughs> well, know? and we got used to washing our hands more. We got used to being more aware of when and how we touch our faces, yes. right? So all of these things. And I noticed the other day at the beginning, I when I put a mask on, I felt smothered and um, uh, bound. Right. And taking it off, it was like a relief. It was freedom. Yeah. I've noticed lately that there's along with that, there's a feeling when I take the mask off, off of being a bit bare and vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about how when we change something, once we've got used to it, yeah. it does make us feel a little bit bare and vulnerable. And, and, you know, do we, do we now, uh, are, do how do we emerge from this now and how do we bring attention to the subconscious unconscious ways in which we've now been programmed mm-hmm. right because we're not necessarily paying attention to them yeah and it didn't take very long to get us so that we were feeling this way what an absolutely beautiful again mirror image of what also has happened amongst canadians in general uh, around Indigenous history and the atrocities. We have had, like the mask, you could call them blinders. We've had blinders on. This was not taught in schools. We were given a um, sanitized version of history in which none of these terrible motivations and terrible actions were really acknowledged or spoken of. We were really, it was it was hidden or poo-pooed or minimalized and now for many people that's come off and this is where they're also feeling incredibly vulnerable because now all of a sudden you see it and it's like how could it be that these things could be true and I was so ignorant all along that is an incredibly vulnerable position to or it's an incredibly vulnerable feeling now Is it a vulnerable position compared to the vulnerability of Indigenous peoples and what they've been facing over the years? I don't think we're really going to be able to hold a candle to it. No. However, acknowledging that those feelings exist is fair enough, though it takes time to to honor them. It's better for us to own that, okay, I'm feeling vulnerable. Okay, that's, I'm allowed to feel vulnerable. I was just thinking that the the emotions around this, of, of reactions to, like, the values that created uh, a, a, a school like that, which I don't think you could even call a school, it's an indoctrination center um, at, the, at the base level. But, but the values have continued to be celebrated, honored, um, put forward as normal and desirable. So, and, and not just 
towards indigenous people, but towards women and towards um, people of any other color. And oh, I mean, all of this. So now we're not just undoing the values that created um, a, a, a school environment like that. We're, we're having to examine our base values for everything. Yeah. And that is going to bring up feelings for us. Yep. And we if it we can't just run roughshod over those feelings because because otherwise we don't have a compass anymore. Yeah. If I if I minimize my own feelings about change, then if I come across something that doesn't feel right, I won't even notice that it doesn't feel right because I've already negated all, that that connection to my own feelings. Mm-hmm. So I have to process it and I can't process it. I can't expect First Nations people or Indigenous people to process it with me or for me because that's that's not their job to take care of my feelings. So that means that those of us who come from settler backgrounds, we have to find a way to process that with one another and help one another to acknowledge the feelings that we have around the vulnerability, around the anger, at at what how we've been duped what what we were told was okay um what's been upheld what's been um perpetuated and perpetrated uh there's we have feelings about that and and those of us who said a long time ago this isn't okay and we're ignored mm. we have feelings about that too yeah so so and if we don't if we don't honor those and heal them yeah. then we will be held captive by them. So, yeah. so that's our first step, right? Is yeah. to, is to, and that's when I, when I was talking about the pain, when the pain gets bad enough, whether it's coming from the outside or it's coming from the inside, I have to look at it. And once looked at, I need to heal it. I need to process it. Yeah. And a, a quick note that this pain and these feelings need to be processed with other settlers not yes. not yes. brought up or laid at the feet of indigenous nope. people that nope. is ours we need to take it away we need to yeah. do that work yeah. um they do not need that extra burden of nope. uh, being they already have their own burden of processing all the memories and the pain and the and the restrictions and the lost opportunities and all the things that that they are coping with on a day-to-day basis i'd like to play our last song for today so this is by uh, an Indigenous artist, Kinney Starr. Uh, Kinney has uh, made Vancouver her home at times. I believe um, they are sometimes out east as well. Uh, this song is called Sun Again. And I love how Kinney communicates in her special way that pleasure and, again, anticipation and joy of a return of something powerfully good, something power, a powerful presence. So let's listen to sun again. Let's let it be a meditation time for what we want this next world to be. What is the next iteration? What is our summer? What is post pandemic life? What do you want to dream into being? We'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. 
was Sun Again by Kinney Starr. Welcome back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. Luca, I think you you found a passage that you wanted to read uh, and share, and we will talk about it. Um, you want to do that now? Yeah, I often come back to this book. It's a book that I, that I bought in the um, early 90s, um, and it's called Transitions, which seems really appropriate for what we're talking about today. And it's by um, William Bridges, which always makes me laugh because his name is Bridges and we're talking about transitions. Um, but the, the, the end of the book is, is uh, talking about making a beginning because often when we've made a change, we're making a new beginning. So we're moving from the ending of an old way um, and transitioning through to the beginning of a new way. Um, and he's, and he's talking about what that process requires. And he says the lesson in all such experiences is that when we are ready to make a beginning, we will shortly find an opportunity. The transition process involves an inner realignment and a renewal of energy, both of which depend on immersion in the chaos of the neutral zone. It is as though the form that we call my life, in quotations, had to return occasionally to pure energy in order to take a new shape and gain new momentum. This is why in archaic cultures, the myths of the creation of the world are recited over, over a sick person. As the scholar Mircea Iliad has written, by making the patient symbolically contemporary with the creation, with a capital C, he lived again in the initial plenitude of being. One does not repair a worn out organism. It must be remade. The patient needs to be born again. He needs, as it were, to recover the whole energy and potency that, was, that, a, that a being has at the moment of its birth. No wonder it makes such a difference how a culture views birth and no wonder we long for some way of avoiding the pain of rebirth. And I, I just, I find that um, really interesting that um, what, what are we trying to birth? And birthing is a process 
it's a it is a ritual it is a process of bringing something new into the world and and i was reminded as i was reading this that that we're being challenged here not to go back to a time that was a, an indigenous time that was pre um white settlers um because the indigenous people aren't that anymore and nor are we the 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 white people that we were at that time we have a we have a challenge and an opportunity now to birth something new mm-hmm. out of it's like the phoenix rising from the ashes right we we and that that requires that we imagine together um all of us together what do we want to create i saw this wonderful um little video on on social media the other day of First Nations people and Indian dancers from India. And they were dancing with one another and showing the steps to one another. And what they were discovering is that in their, in their respective indigenous cultures, there were actually humongous um, similarities that they didn't even know about because the, these, these um, cultures developed on opposite sides of the planet. Right. So, so when we start looking for similarities, we'll find them and we can build on those. And it'll, and that will create, I believe our rebirth and it's a process. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was William Bridges. There's lots of interesting things in there about, uh, about the whole transition process that I found um, really valid. It was just a, it's just a small book. I think it's still in print. It may be in its second or third or fourth edition by now, but um, it's, it's worth a read. Mm-hmm. Well, we have just about used up our time here today. Any final words you're thinking of Luca? I come back to this idea of we're not aiming for a destination here. This is a process. It's a journey and we journey together. Mm-hmm. Um, and some some parts of the of the journey we'll do alone, and some parts we'll do together. Um, so we and it's very similar in some ways to the journey that men and women are taking in order to be able to live in a more egalitarian world. That some some things women have to do with other women, and some men have to do with other men, and then we come back and we do things together. I I think we do it everywhere. Yeah, very true. Well, if it's a journey and we're journeying together and sometimes apart, then I definitely wonder what's around the corner. 